0: The question I want to start with tonight is why should you care about the mission of God? Why should you and I be interested in the mission that God calls us to? Now this is the mission that Jesus sets down in the opening verse of our passage in chapter 9, verse 35. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to heal every disease and sickness. In his Gospel, Matthew records how Jesus commissioned his first disciples into action. But Matthew also writes his Gospel, if you like, with a megaphone, which speaks forward to us, the disciples who follow in the footsteps of the first disciples. Therefore, for Matthew, mission is fundamental to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the reason why is clear. Spreading the good news of Jesus requires dependence on God. We cannot share the love of God revealed in Jesus if we think we can go about it in our own strength. So if you want to grow deeper as a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to show you why being involved in mission will deepen your dependence on God in four ways. In prayer, in proclamation, in provision, and in peace. You can see a bit of a a slide that Toby kindly knocked up for us there too. And there's loads I could say under each of the four headings. But for this sermon, I'm going to spend the vast majority of my time considering the first two parts in prayer and proclamation. So if we get about 18 minutes in, and I've only covered the first two, I don't want you to panic, okay? But we will get out of here before midnight, I promise. But by the end of the talk, I hope you'll see how all these headings form a mission dependence loop that we continue to travel around. If you're a Christian here tonight, I hope that you'll be inspired to see that followers of Jesus don't stand still. Our task is to be engaged in the mission of God in such a way that we're constantly working around this loop if we're here tonight exploring what it means to be a Christian, then I hope you'll be so caught up in the beauty of what Jesus asks his followers to do that you'll be encouraged to enter into this loop for yourself. So if we have still got our Bibles open to page 974, that is absolutely tremendous. Because firstly, mission teaches us dependence on God in prayer. In verse 36 of chapter 9, Jesus sees the state of the crowd before him and we're told he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So just as sheep without a shepherd roam aimlessly, not knowing where to access safe pasture, Jesus sees how God's people are without a loving guide. Jesus sees how the Jewish religious elite have segregated themselves from the common person and so crowds of everyday people are left adrift from the knowledge of God and his purposes in the world. And it causes the heart of Jesus to break. This is what drives Jesus to say to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus tells his disciples to ask, to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. The compassion Jesus feels for the helpless without the knowledge of God stirs him to petition his disciples to seek the Lord in prayer. Prayer for Jesus is the starting point of all mission to seek and save the lost. And there are many good reasons why this is the case, but I want to highlight two that have emerged so far. Reason one is because our witness to God will only be effective if we share the same compassion that Jesus felt. You know, I readily, I look around at the world around me and I acknowledge that it's broken. I see England and I see the consequences of a society that has lost its reference point in God. I see how a decade of high-profile scandals in banking, in politics, in press, in policing, and also in the church, point to the fact that true morality, based on loving your neighbour, has flown out of the window. And in its place, it seems an attitude of what's in it for me has emerged. But because I'm not personally affected yet... Rather than let the broken state of our society inspire me into action, I find it all too easy to drift into a place of complacency and compassion fatigue. This is why I know prayer is essential. When I spend time in prayer with God, his compassion rubs off on me. God's spirit witnesses to my spirit. And it fills me with what one Christian author calls holy discontent. Holy discontent is the deep unease that hits us inside. It transforms our way of thinking about things. It gives us a heightened state of emotion, such as tears of lament or anger against an injustice. Often both. Holy discontent is the fuel that drives us to prayer and promotes godly compassion with all of us. It transforms our involvement the mission to something we think we should do out of obedience because we're Christians and we know others are watching on, to be something that breaks our heart not to be involved with. Have you ever felt inflamed with this compassion, the urgency of the compassion that Jesus is talking about here? Why don't we tonight... Later in worship, each of us individually ask God in prayer to lay such a cause on our heart that drives us to our knees. Second reason why our involvement in the mission of God begins with dependence in prayer is because the size of the task feels overwhelming. And Jesus acknowledges as much himself. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So when we consider that the population of the world is around 7.5 billion, but only 2.3 billion, approximately, would consider themselves in any way Christian, we can say that the potential harvest is not in short supply. It's not that we're just at the gleaning stage, is it? In the face of such overwhelming statistics, it's not surprising that many Christians... Well, they feel frozen, a bit like it feels when we're at work and things can attack us from all angles and we feel stunned and we don't quite know where to begin. Alternatively, when we're overwhelmed, we just put our head down and we plough on in an unrestrained frenzy of activity, not coming up for air. By encouraging us to start first with prayer, Jesus offers a helpful corrective to both of these attitudes. As we're engaged in sharing the good news of Jesus. By asking God to send more workers out into his harvest field, we're forced to acknowledge that the task is too big for us. We need more workers. Those of us gathered here, we're not going to do it by ourselves. Being aware of this fact keeps us humble, it helps us to realize that me and you aren't the savior of Christianity in the world. God is not asking us to be like one-man missionary or one-woman missionary bands, expertly playing five instruments at once. This is really good news. Why? Because it gives us the freedom to focus on an area of mission that really stirs each of our hearts individually. So if you feel a holy discontent, maybe in an area of social justice, homelessness, family support, care for God's creation, prisons, youth ministry, or anything else, then this is a good indicator that God is calling you for a time to get involved, to explore mission in this particular area. But we also need to acknowledge it's God's harvest field and not our own. Jesus says, "Ask the Lord of the harvest... To send out more workers into his harvest field. The field we're asked to harvest in does not belong to me and you, it belongs to God. And this stops us being territorial. I remember being particularly inspired once by an old vicar of mine called Paul Perkin at a church called St. Mark's Battersea Rise. And uh, I used to worship there before my ordination training. And one day, a vicar came to Paul and he said, Paul, I'd like to start a church plant within your parish. Can I have permission? Well, Paul not only said, yes, you have my permission, but he allowed this guy to come and preach at their 6.30 service to share the vision for his new plant with the congregation so that if the St. Mark's any of the St. Mark's congregation wanted to get involved and support this new venture, they could. Paul recognized that the harvest was plentiful, but the workers were few. Paul recognized that people involved in spreading the good news of Jesus, of God's kingdom, do not operate like a corporation or competing businesses who try and maximize their own market share. Christian mission is collaborative. We're all serving for one same Lord. This is why I'm massively excited about the national initiative, the national prayer initiative, Thy Kingdom Come, that we're joining in with here at Holy Trinity Claygate. Now, you've seen the clip earlier with Justin Welby, and uh, I have a letter here sent to all serving parish priests. And it's from Archbishop Justin Welby of Canterbury and John Sentimu of York. And it says in it, like us, you will know that ministry is empty and barren without prayer. Therefore, in the week leading up to Pentecost, we're asking for a wave of prayer throughout the Church of England. Prayer has and always will be the foundation of mission. Will you therefore come to one of these HTC prayer evenings as we join with many of the churches in England to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth? It's from this foundation that we then move round to the, my second heading in the mission dependence loop: dependence on God in proclamation. So shortly after Jesus tells his twelve disciples to pray for more volunteers, guess what happens? they find themselves answering their own prayer. In verse 1 of chapter 10, Jesus sends them out with his authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Notice that Jesus doesn't send his disciples out on mission in their own strength. Their authority in mission is given to them by Jesus. So it's a bit like the way you're driving along a motorway. And you see a police motorbike flash back past with its siren. And it's stopping an almighty great big lorry. If you compare the size of the motorbike to the size of the lorry, there's no reason for the lorry driver to stop. The size of the bike is no match for the massive juggernaut. But because the police motorcyclist rides with the full authority of the law, the lorry driver knows he must pull over. The same is true for missions, uh, when we're engaged in mission with God. Our authority is given to us by Jesus. It doesn't matter how weak and powerless we feel. It's his authority with us that makes people stop and take notice. So Christians are dependent on the authority of God in our proclamation. But what message are we supposed to proclaim? If we look at Jesus' instructions to the 12 disciples in verses 7 and 8, what does he say? As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. And drive out demons. When was the last time you did any of those things? It's quite a list, isn't it? Jesus gives his 12 disciples the same authority to do the same extraordinary things that he was doing in chapter 9. The question is, does Jesus give us that same authority today? I remember when I first surrendered control of my life to Jesus Christ. It was accompanied by a powerful spiritual experience. And I was a bit perplexed by all that had happened. And so I thought, right, I'm going to read up on the gifts of the Spirit. And I used to work for uh, HSBC, um, and I lived in Ballam, so I used to commute uh, to Canary Wharf on the Tube, on the Northern Line. And anybody who's been on a busy train journey into London or Tube will know that uh, you're crammed in like sardines, and you're close to one another, and you can't help but notice the books that other people are reading. Well, this happened to me. And I was reading the book, um, and uh, it contained chapter headings that were easy to deal with, such as the gift of teaching, the gift of leading, and some slightly more interesting chapter headings. The gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, the gift of speaking in tongues. And at this point, I was slightly conscious that those people around me might have been thinking, hmm, this is interesting, as they were looking over my shoulders to see what I was looking at. And then it happened. I turned over the next page and in big, black, bold chapter heading letters, there it said, the gift of raising the dead. <laughs> I scanned around the people <laughs> and I quickly flicked over the page. I didn't want everybody to think I was a complete nutcase. Time seemed to stand still for what felt like an eternity during that moment. So what are the limits of our authority in Christ? Well, I want to be honest with you. I want to own up to the fact that I'm not exactly sure how we're to apply some of these instructions today. And you know what? I'm okay with that. You see, there are Christians I know trust and deeply respect working in mission fields around the world who are bringing the message of Jesus into places and communities who have never heard of the message of Jesus before. And it seems that sometimes God accompanies this message of Jesus' love and God's forgiveness with miraculous signs and wonders that point to the fact that what they are speaking about is true. But then again, I've also taken a few funerals, And never once have I ever tried to do anything else other than honour the memory of the deceased person and respect the grieving family's wishes by honouring the departed and letting them go in peace. Yes, on such occasions, I'll freely talk about the hope we have in Christ and our final resurrection on that last glorious day. But to attempt anything more would be a pastoral disaster. And I don't believe God's calling me to do that in such cases. What I want to do then is to talk about those areas of proclamation that I am more certain about. Firstly, our proclamation involves words. We are to proclaim with our mouths that the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, when the gospel is shared with a person, the place where God rules as king is brought near to them. When we share with people how God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to die for their sin, that they might be brought back into a relationship with God, we speak over them words of new life. When a person responds to this message, they enter into the sphere of God's rule. They begin to see that living their lives as if they're their king and ruler, it just doesn't work. It only pollutes relationship and promotes greed. Paradoxically, allowing God to be king brings true freedom and life to the full. Secondly, proclamation involves a demonstration of God's love. Anybody who professes to be a Christian should be a walking, talking model of God's love. There's little power in saying the kingdom of God has come near if by your attitude and behaviour you're driving people away. The Bible talks about us being like the aroma of Christ. We're supposed to emanate sweet perfume, not stink. We need to consider well our behavior if we want to be positive witnesses to Jesus. Thirdly, start local where you're at. So before Jesus commissions 12 disciples to go into foreign lands, in verse 18, he first asked them in verse 5 and 6 to engage in mission where they are, with people like them. There is a plentiful and ready harvest right within our midst. And We, you and me here, have the greatest access to it. Now this is not to say don't go abroad on mission, if that's what God's calling to words, go, you'll have a superb time and God will bless that and honour all that you seek to do. But there's also an awful lot of sense in sharing the good news of Jesus with people whose culture and language we inherently understand. Now I get that it often feels harder to talk about Jesus with people we're closest to or who move within the similar circles to us. That's when it feels that our reputation is most on the line. The good news is that this only increases our dependence on God. The other good news is that as a church, we want to make this as easy as possible for you to do. That's why we're hosting this weekend of invitation. and There's going to be tickets available at the end of this service. 20th to 22nd of May. Put it in your diaries if you haven't done already. Because there's a huge fringe of people that we all collectively know that come to Claygate, come to our church, on the Christmas services and at the Easter services. But we don't normally see them here on a Sunday. This means they're warm to hearing a message about Jesus. And they'd be open to receiving an invitation from you. Invite them to come and see some brilliant comedy from Paul Carenza. An inspiring evening with C.S. Lewis as portrayed by David Payne. And then one of our guest-friendly Sunday services. Maybe you had uh, a fantastic experience at Life to the Full. These events promise to be just as good. And don't worry if the person you invite says no. We want you to come too and enjoy it for yourselves just as much tickets as I say will be available uh, after the service fourthly and this is really important remember our motivation for proclaiming the message of God's love look down with me at chapter 10 verse 8 freely you have received freely give Have you received the free gift of God's grace into your life? Do you know the love of Jesus in your heart? The Bible describes it as being like a pearl of inestimable value that's worth selling everything you own just to possess. The irony, of course, is that this gift costs us nothing Cost us nothing to be in a relationship with God. Jesus paid the full price when he sacrificed his life in our place. God pours his grace into our life freely, and he asks us to be equally generous in giving this grace away, of passing it on. Perhaps using a road analogy might help. Let's be more like avenues of God's grace rather than dead ends. We're going to move now around the mission dependence loop much faster as we come to the third heading. Mission teaches us dependence on God in provision. So in verse 9 and 10, Jesus instructs the disciples not to worry about taking anything more with them than is absolutely necessary for their short mission tour around Galilee because... The worker is worth his keep. It's worth their keep. Now, except that in Middle Eastern cultures, there's a far greater habit for hospitality, a far greater duty towards the stranger than perhaps we have here in our culture. But there's still an important principle here I want us to draw out. It's that Jesus didn't see the disciples' lack of supplies as being a reason to delay their trip. Jesus reveals an urgency in the disciples' missionary task that overrides any worry about what they may eat or where they might sleep. The disciples are instructed simply to go. And in the process, they would learn to depend on God working through the kindness of strangers to meet their needs. And for us, we often find ways of delaying what we believe, what God might be calling us towards because we don't feel fully equipped or qualified for the task. In the Bible, we constantly see the disciples working their theology out as they go. They're not complete Christians. That doesn't even come when Jesus rises from the dead. But he still commissions them to go out and share this message with the rest of the world. So we say things like, I don't know enough, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'll serve God after I've passed my exams, after I've paid off my mortgage, after my kids have left home and I've got more time. When we say such things, we're depending on human factors and not on the spirit of God going ahead of us. If we're following the path that God is calling us on, he's more than capable of providing for our needs. If you've got ambitions for God, don't put them on hold. Push a few doors around you, even if it feels like it's the beginning of something small. Tentatively knock on the door and see what opportunities open up. The final stage of our mission dependence loop is dependence on God for our peace. The reality is that anybody who's tried to share the love of God will have received a mixed response. And Jesus never expected it to be any different. Look at what he says to his 12 disciples in verse 12 of chapter 10. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. How people choose to respond to God's message of peace is not our responsibility. It's down to them to make their own decision before God, who we learn in this passage, is the ultimate judge. And this is really important, because if they respond to our message positively, it stops us from falling into any sense of pride that we are the ones responsible for their salvation. Or if they respond negatively, it stops us from feeling rejected and blaming ourselves if it seems to go wrong. What's our task? It's simply to be faithful with the message, being as winsome as we can, but we must leave the rest up to God. Because we must be realistic about the opposition we face. Verse 16. It's like being sent out like sheep among the wolves. Being sent out like sheep amongst animals with big jaws is a pretty terrifying thought. This verse alone should teach us to depend on God for our peace. Yet Jesus promised, didn't he, that when things did get tough... God would be right there with them, by their side. When the first disciples got hauled before people of power, they needn't worry about what to say. God wouldn't leave them abandoned. It would be his spirit who would give them the words to say. And this definitely still stands for us today. If you find yourself in a difficult spot, trying to share the good news and love of Jesus and God, maybe even just giving somebody an invitation and perhaps they respond in an antagonistic way. This can leave us struggling to find our peace. We struggle with our faith. It's what I'm really believing true. Why aren't they responding? Why are they so antagonistic towards us? This is where it's really important to remember. We continue around the mission dependence loop. Because the next stop is prayer. And that's how we regain our peace. Amen.